Well, welcome. I'm glad you're here this morning. That uh, video, uh, one of our pastors described as bumping. I'm not going to tell you which pastor, but he's like, that video is bumping. He couldn't have pulled off. He shouldn't have said it. So I'll give you a little clue. But anyways, uh, I'm glad you're here this morning. We're finishing our series called Free Indeed. We've been, we've been talking about what does it mean to be free in, in Christ. Jesus said, the Son has come to set you free and you'll be free indeed. Well, what does that mean? What sort of implications does that have on our life? And so we've talked about being free from sin and, and death. We've talked about being free from guilt and prejudice. We've talked about uh, being free from rejection. And today, as we close our series, we talk about being free from the law. And as I sat in Ray's office and said, this is what I want to close the series with, and then as I started to prepare this week, I, I realized I may have bitten off a little more than I can chew. Uh, this is a big topic uh, in the life of the church of what relationship does the believer have to the law? And so as I started to read and study and write, I realized that this 25 or 30 minutes is going to really serve just as an introduction. It has to. We, we, can't, we can't unpack it all. And so what I, what I want to invite you to do is to, is for the next 25 or 30 minutes, engage with what we're going to talk about this morning, but then to do the work of wrestling with this and talking through this on your own with your community and your family or whatever. Because this doesn't work if this is supposed to be the 30 minutes tidy, it's done, and I go off the door with, with kind of a playbook. This only works, this only, this only has an impact on our life if we're willing to engage long-term with this discussion of what it means to be free from the law. So with that in mind, knowing this is a big topic, knowing that uh, there's a lot here, I would like to pray for us. And if you're willing to do this, I would invite you uh, to do this with me. As we pray, I'm going to ask you just to put your hands open, kind of palms face up. You don't, if that's weird for you, you don't have to do that. But the reason we do that, the reason I, I'm going to do that is as a posture, a physical way to, to ask God, hey, I'm, I'm open. I want to hear what you have for me uh, this morning. It's a way of telling God that. It's a way of also kind of reinforcing that in your own heart. So if you're willing to do that, great. If that makes you uh, feel weird, you don't have to do it. Okay, but I'm going to do it. All right, let's pray. God, thanks for the opportunity to, to be together today. We, we want what you want in our lives. We want to know you greater and more fully and more intimately. So would you meet us this morning? We pray this in your name. Amen. So when you think of the law, what do you typically think of? Things typically come to your mind probably. You think, when you think of either the secular law or the biblical law of the Old Testament, uh, certain things typically uh, it kind of conjures up certain ideas. Uh, usually things of, well, that seemed really strict or uh, really restrictive, or you might even have said things growing up, things like, man, I'm really glad I didn't live in the Old Testament. It, it seemed really hard. They have all these rules to follow. You know, I remember when I was in uh, Sunday school growing up, they, they told you you couldn't eat bacon in the Old Testament. It's like, I'm out. Like, that seems, <laughs> I don't have to get very far. I'm gone. So you might have the, you know, there might be this idea that, well, that, you know, the law was bad. The law was evil. The law was death. The law was restrictive. People didn't like the law. But the reality is, as we look at the Old Testament, as we read the Old Testament authors, we really have very little indication that, that, that Israel felt that about the law, that it was some sort of restrictive presence in their life, that they, that they kind of bemoaned the fact that they had to keep it. In fact, we, we see the opposite. You know, you read through the Old Testament, especially you read through the Psalms. Uh, the psalmist loves the law. He talks about meditating on the law and delighting in it. He talks about how the law gives life and brings life. And it may be the most poignant and concise description of the law in Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is kind of a, a description that, that all ancient Israelites would have known. I want to read this description to you. And I want you to, to as, you, as you see it on the screen or as you read it in your own Bible, I want you to say, does this law seem bad? Does it seem evil? Does it seem like the nation of Israel resented the fact that they had to keep the law. 
Okay, so here's the description in Deuteronomy 6. It says, These are the commands, the decrees, and the laws of the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all of the decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Now, starting in verse 4 is is a sacred text for the nation of Israel. Uh, Even nominal Jews would still know this probably by heart. They've heard it somewhere. It's been at weddings. It's been at funerals. This is is kind of their sacred. It's called the Shema. This is something that that was deeply embedded into uh, a Jew. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This is the description of the law, the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments and the, the festivals and the rituals and the laws of how to treat foreigners. This, does that seem like Israel <laughs> bemoaned the fact that they had to keep the law? It actually seems like there was a celebration around the law. In fact, even today, if you, st- if you go to Israel, you will see, um, you'll see people walking around Israel, especially on Shabbat, on the Sabbath, and they've taken these verses literally. They actually take the law, or maybe just the Shema, that, those five verses, and they'll, put it, they'll actually tie it on their wrists and on their foreheads. This idea of I'm literally doing what, what, what Scripture told me to do, which is to keep the law, to remember that they're beautiful. If you go into any building, you'll see on the doorpost you'll see a little thing called a mezuzah. And in the mezuzah is the law or maybe just the Shema. And they put it on their doorpost. So as they come and as they go, they're reminded of the law and the beauty of the law and the responsibility to keep it. It gave life to Israel. The law was always a good thing. It always was a good thing. And some of the things that the law meant to do, this isn't an exclusive list or an exhaustive list, but these are some things that the law meant to do. The law was an introduction Uh, for Israel to God. It revealed God to them. It was a way for God to say to a new nation, here's who I am. Let's start a relationship. Let's get to know each other. It also set the nation of Israel apart from the other nations. So they had certain practices and rituals that they would do that were different from the other nations. It was a way for them to be uniquely gods. It provided a way for Israel to worship God which included a a pathway and a way for forgiveness, the sacrificial system. It was a way for them to engage with, have relationship with, draw close to God. There were festivals and holy days and uh, temple and tabernacle uh, ordinances that they were to keep, and that was the way that they would have a relationship with God. And it also also provided just very practically physical and spiritual well-being for the nation. There are some best practices type stuff in the law that helped them thrive and succeed and be the people that God made them to be. The law was always meant to bring life. It was always meant to give life and to be good. We have this picture, this caricature of the law in the Old Testament that it was restrictive and bad and boring and people must have resented it, but the reality is the law was always good. It just wasn't permanent, but it was always good. It didn't necessarily bring salvation. Salvation has been and always will be through faith in God alone and through intimacy and relationship with him. So it didn't necessarily bring salvation, but it did bring life. It did did bring closeness and intimacy and best practices to engage with God. 
we have this idea that the Old Testament, you receive salvation through works and through doing things and being good, and in the New Testament, everything changes. Well, the reality is that the, the way to salvation, the way to God has always been faith in him, relationship with him. So if that's the case, if the law was good and is good and always will be good, what is our relationship to it today? Okay? Because my guess is some of you this morning had bacon, okay? Uh, and none of you this morning brought a goat to, to sacrifice to, to Ray. I think someone should do that one week. Just bring up a goat to Ray and be like, I'm here for the sacrifices. I would love to see what Ray would do with that. Um, not when I'm preaching. Please don't do it when I'm preaching. But when Ray preaches. Um, so we don't, we don't keep the law anymore. But, but why? What is our relationship to be with the law? Jesus addressed this multiple times, but he addressed it in Matthew 5 head on. He said, I haven't, come, I haven't come to abolish the law, but I've come to fulfill the law. I haven't come to cancel it out, to do away with it, but I've come to do uh, with it what it was always meant to do, to fulfill it. Because the law in ancient Israel is like these boxes, okay? Everything has a very specific place to go. It's very ordered. It's very... Uh, precise. Everything, everything has its own little spot. You, have a, you, you need to know how to treat a foreigner. Well, we, it's down in this box. You need to know uh, what to do when this happens. You need to go in this box. You want to know how to engage with God. It's over here in this box. You want to know how to ask for forgiveness. It's in this box. Everything had its very specific role. Okay? And Jesus comes and he says, I didn't come to cancel this, to abolish it, but I came to fulfill it, to do with the law what it was always meant to do. Paul, in the New Testament, he goes on and he, he gives us a really vivid illustration of the role of the law. As he, as he processes and he kind of teases out this fulfillment of the law, this is how Paul in Galatians 3 describes our relationship to the law. He says, Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that the faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith, and for all of those who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. And there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, male or female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What's the role of the law? The law serves, did you catch the, the visual? A temporary guardian, a guardian, a temporary parent, uh, someone that has custody of a child for a time. It was there to keep safe. It was there to keep accurate. It was there to protect, but it was temporary. And you, if you tease out the metaphor, you know this to be true. I mean, think about the relationship between parents and kids. So when you're a parent or you have custody over someone or you're a guardian, you have kids and they're, 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 they're children. They don't know any better. And so what you do is in your household, most likely, you set up some sort of system, some sort of rules. And you say, well, here's what's important. It's important that you eat healthy. And so we're going to have rules around making sure that you finish, finish all of your vegetables at dinner. That's going to be a rule that we make because we want you to be healthy. We want to make sure that you're prepared in life and that you have a good education. And so we're going to say that you have to have your homework done by this time before you can go do other things. We're going to say we don't want you just to numb your mind with, with looking at screens and your computer and TV. And so we're going, to, we're going to put rules maybe around how often and how frequently you can watch TV and what kinds of things that you can watch. We want to make sure that you're prepared for whatever the next day has for you. So we're going to make sure that there is a curfew. You're not going to be out past a certain time for your own safety because 
nothing good happens after midnight anyways. And so you're going to be in bed by 10, and there's going to be consequences if you're not. They set up these rules. They set up this system because they're the parent, you're the child, and it's keeping you safe. Now, when you graduate from your home, whatever, whatever stage of life that is, and you go off on your own, there's a certain level of inappropriateness that would come with your parents still keeping those rules over you, right? That makes sense? So for instance, I'm a 28-year-old uh, guy. I have a wife. I've been married for five years. I've been out on my own. I live in Chicago. My parents live in Detroit. When I was preparing this message, Midge, which is my mom's name, lovely lady, Paul and Midge, um, Midge didn't call Ray K and say, hey, does, did Andy finish his sermon this week? Just, just checking in. I'm just making sure that, that he's prepared. And, and if he did, would you mind sending me a copy of that just to make sure it's up to standards? She didn't do that. And if she did, we would have a conversation about boundaries. And we'd say, Ma, I got it. But her principles, the principles that Paul and Midge taught me to be prepared, to work hard, to ask for help, those things I very much used this week as I prepared. Just because I graduated from their house, I didn't say, I didn't start over in, the, in my learning and my understanding of life. But that, that extra restriction, those rules, she, she didn't call Brittany last night and say, Andy's got a big day tomorrow. Big day tomorrow. Make sure he's in bed by 10. She didn't call at 10.05 to make sure, hey, are you in bed? I know you have a big day. But the principles that I've learned growing up of, of to get rest and to be prepared, to be responsible, I used those things this week because those things don't change. Those principles don't change. Now, it's not to say that your actions don't matter and there's not consequences. So if I didn't prepare this week, this would be a very awkward 30 minutes, right? Not because my mom got me in trouble, but because the natural consequences of not preparing means that I would stand up here with nothing to say. If I was out till 3 a.m. yesterday, I wouldn't have gotten in trouble with, with my mom, but there are some natural consequences that would come as we had a conversation this morning, okay? So the principles of the law are still the same. Those principles have not gone anywhere. They just look a little differently now. So, so what are those principles of the law? If, if the law was a temporary guardian to keep us safe but was never meant to be permanent, what are those principles that remain the same? Paul, just a chapter later, sums it up in verse 13 of chapter 5. He says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly, in love, for the entire law, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself, and if you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. Paul says there's a principle of the law, which is to love God, love your neighbor. That has not changed. That is still the same. You have freedom now, but don't use your freedom to go and destroy each other. That's still not a good decision. That's still not best practices. But to fulfill the law, there's this one principle that was, was the same at the beginning and always will be. The law is summed up in loving your neighbor. So in essence, what Jesus did as he came, as he takes the law, he takes, he takes this Old Testament system, he takes uh, what, what Israel always knew to be true was everything has a very specific spot. And he takes the principles out, to, to love God and to love your neighbor. And he starts to, he starts to spread out these principles same principles, same block, but it's no longer in this spot. Does that make sense? And so it doesn't live here anymore in the law, in this very specific letter, but the principles of it 
are now all over the stage. So I'm going to do something that makes some of you very uncomfortable, but we're going we're gonna to do it together. So I'm going to take these, I'm just going to spread it. Uh, I got these from children's ministry. So if you have kids in the early elementary wing, they don't have toys this morning. And I, f- <laughs> I feel a little bad about that because um, Michael's probably going to get maybe the emails and not me. But um, So he takes the principles of the law and he spreads them out. Okay? It's the same block. It hasn't changed. It just doesn't live here anymore. It lives over here. And the problem with this is this makes people feel a little uncomfortable. This freaks some people out. Okay? It did in first century, and it does still today. Perhaps one of the best examples, my favorite example, are his Sabbath healings. Okay? There are multiple instances in the New Testament where Jesus is teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and someone comes who is sick, and they want to have an experience with Jesus, and they're sick, and they're asking him to, to bring life, to heal, to help. And so Jesus is in the synagogue, and he's teaching. This person comes in and wants healing, and so he reaches out, and he touches that person, and he heals them. This happens multiple times. Okay? And as he's doing that, he's dumping out the law, fulfilling the law. He's changing where all the rules go. They're still there. And the Pharisees are upset because Jesus broke the law. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to do anything on the Sabbath. That's a holy day. In the Old Testament, that goes right here. I know where that goes. And Jesus, I love these interactions. He looks at the the leaders and the Pharisees and he says, you don't understand. The purpose of the law was to bring life, to heal, to bring closeness to God. And here's someone in my midst that wants an experience with me, that wants life, that wants to be healed, that wants closeness. And so I'm going to reach out and I'm going to touch them and I'm going to heal them because that was what the law was meant to do. And in doing that, I'm completely flipping things upside down. Now here's the problem. This makes some of you feel very uncomfortable. To many of you, this... Is it, there's a sock in there. <laughs> Poor men. Uh, for some of you, this is, this, this, is, this is very uncomfortable. It's a mess. A parent walks in and says, this is a mess. Here's what I want to invite you to consider. What happens when a child walks in? A child walks through the door, sees toys on the stage. Is it a mess to the child? No. It's a, it's a playground. It's there's stuff for me to do. Look, there's a block over there, and there's a ball over there, and there's a sock over there, and there's a little thing over there. Like, I have, this, it's not a mess to a child. It's a matter of perspective. It's not complicated. It's not messy, depending on who you are. Now, here's where it gets a little tricky. So Jesus has come, and he's fulfilled the Old Testament law. I think most of us can get on board with that. But here's the problem. There's a second law that he has freed us from, and that is the law of legalism. Legalism is another law, but it's a law that we've made, okay? Legalism is looking at this mess, looking at all these ways to interact with with God and saying, no, no, that is too messy. That is too frightening, That is too chaotic. That is too complicated. I would like to put things back in not those boxes, but I will create a new system. And so what we end up doing is we create our new system, a new law. It's called legalism. Legalism is the dependence on moral laws to gain access to God. And so we create this new system, this new structure that includes pre- and post-requisites 
to get to God. You understand pre and post requisites. So pre, a prerequis- prerequisite would be if you, you enroll in a college class and you want to take a 400 level, a senior level psych class, psychology class. The prof would say, in order for you to take this psychology class, you need to take intro to philosophy, intro to psychology, and intro to sociology, and then a few other classes. And then once you've obtained those credits, you can take senior level psychology. These are prerequisites. And so in our uncomfortability, because we like things to be clean, we like to know where everything goes, we like to have systems and order, we like to control things, we say, in order for you to have a relationship with Jesus, we need to put these things back into this box. And so this sin, this belief system, this preference, this proclivity, this way that you talk, this way that you dress, this way that you've dealt with your past, you, 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 can't, you can't interact with Jesus until you've done it like this. Problem, the problem with that is these boxes tend to reflect my own tendencies, right? So a legalist that, that creates a system in how to engage with God, they're going to create a system around the things that they prefer, around the sins that they don't struggle with, around the beliefs that they're confident in, and they're going to create their system based around that. And then this guy over here, is going to create his legalist system around the things that he's confident in, the struggles that he doesn't have, the tendencies and preferences that that he has or doesn't have, and he will create his system. And what ends up happening is we have these multiple layers of legalism that infiltrate our church. It says, in order for you to have a genuine relationship with God, in order for you to experience God, you can't approach it from all these different angles. You can't have an experience with God by the piano and an experience of God over here by the stairs. Let's, Let's narrow that. And these boxes tend to reflect me, what I like, what I don't like, what I'm drawn to or not drawn to. Richard Rohr, in his book, Falling Upwards, mentions this tension, this idea of there, we tend to have two ways of thinking about things. He calls it dualistic thinking. You have, it's either one way or the other. And this is what he says. He says, dualistic thinking is the well-practiced pattern of knowing most things by comparison. That's how we know things. It has to be this or that. For some reason, once you compare or label things, that is judge, you must always conclude that one is good and the other is less good or even bad. He says, don't take my word for it. Notice your own thoughts and your own reactions. You will see that you almost automatically move into a pattern of up, down, in, out, for me, against me, right, wrong, black, white, gay, straight, good, bad. We have these very finite categories. There are two ways to think. You're either in this box or you're not. You can't be by the piano. You can't be over there. This is legalism. And this is grace. Okay? This this is narrow. This is very narrow. You You can only interact here. Grace is very wide. This is exclusive. This has certain criteria that only very special people can get into that interact the way that you interact. This is exclusive. Grace is inclusive. This hurts people. Legalism hurts people. And grace heals people. This, this is religion. This is religion. 
And this is a transformational experience with Jesus. I find it very difficult to have a transformational relationship with Jesus in this box because it's so narrow. It's so confining. What part of this box seems freeing to us? I'm not sure. But we like control. We like things to be, we like to be comfortable. We create these prerequisites. We also create these post-requisites. A post-requisite says after you've graduated, after you've obtained your degree or your license, you must do X amount of things over the next five years to maintain that license or that degree. And so in addition to creating these prereqs, you have to act this way, look this way, talk this way, believe this way before you have a relationship with God. You must also, in order to maintain that relationship, in order to, to be a part of the church, in order to have true relationship with God, you must continue to do these things. Otherwise, you can't have genuine faith in God. Be very careful with that. Look at the New Testament. Look at the interactions that Jesus has. Scour Jesus' interactions and try and find me a clean interaction. Okay? Try and find an interaction that Jesus has with someone that doesn't tick someone off, that doesn't upset someone, that doesn't cause people to ask more questions, that doesn't send ripples through the community to say, did you hear about this and how come of this? Try and find me a clean interaction that Jesus has with people. Because this can be messy, can be complicated, but also can be very simple. Love God, love your neighbor. I'm going to invite the band back up. And as we do that, I want to uh, just have some closing comments. I'm not sure where they're going to stand and stuff, but they'll figure, it. They'll, <laughs> they'll figure that out, I'm pretty sure. You know, as I, as I struggled with this, truly struggled with this, I, I went back and forth about whether or not to use specific examples of legalism. And part of me thought it would be helpful because I like I to illustrate. I like to get into the practical and the everyday. And, uh, but here's why I chose not to. So forgive me. It was intentional. Here's why I chose not to. Number one is I was worried that I would feed into that very thing that I'm trying to break us out of, which I would choose two, based on time, I would choose two or three things that were important to me that I was passionate about, that I struggle with or don't struggle with or whatever. And it would exclude the hundreds and thousands of iterations of legalism in our churches. So that was one reason why I decided to not. I also decided to not because very possibly two or three of those examples would resonate with some of you. And the entire message would be reduced down to, well, surely he can't be saying this. Well, I disagree with his treatment of this issue, this preference, this belief. And we would miss kind of this grander thing that God is, is calling us to engage in the mess, to break free from our legalism. It would become about a single issue. Or you wouldn't struggle with that issue. And you would exonerate yourself from the entire discussion. So those two examples he used, I don't struggle with those. I guess I don't struggle with legalism. So I admitted intentionally specific iterations of this, I would ask for you, this is what we started with, I'd ask for you to do the hard work of understanding what's in your boxes and why. What sins, what beliefs, what preferences, tendencies, histories, what types of people, what types of conversations are in your boxes and why, and what might God want to do with them? You know, there might be three, three groups of people here this morning as we close. There might be some of you in this room 
that somewhere along the way, someone told you, you don't fit into our box. So you can't have a relationship with God. There's no, there's no place for you in God's community. There's no place for you in this church community. That you, your, your life is too messy. Your history is too messy. Your preferences make us uncomfortable. The way you talk makes us uncomfortable. And so you don't fit into our boxes. And so therefore you don't fit into our community and you don't, you don't get to have a relationship with God. If that's your story today, first I want to say I'm glad you're here. I don't know how you come back to faith after someone has told you that, but for whatever reason you're in this room and I want to say I'm glad you're here. And we would love to enter into the mess with you. We would love to enter into the mess with you. This, the reality is this is where Jesus walks. <laughs> this is where Jesus hangs out in the mess. And we want to be there with you. You also might be in this room and you have been told over the course of years that the way to have a relationship with God is to check all the boxes, to do all the right things, to fit in boxes. There was a guy like that in the New Testament. He's just called the rich young ruler. He doesn't have a name. But he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I want to follow you. And guess what? I've kept the entire law. I've done everything right. Um, I've, I've done everything that, I've, that you've asked me to do. I've kept the entire Old Testament. So can I follow you? I've kept the law. I've been in all the boxes. And Jesus, I don't know if you know the story, Jesus looks at them and he, in the course of the conversation, he exposes that while this guy has kept the law, he's done a good job of understanding the rules his heart is about himself, his wealth in this scenario, and about the world. And Jesus is like, can't, you, can't, you can't have that. It's not about keeping the law. Where's your heart? And his heart wasn't there. Listen, if you've been told you have to keep being in these boxes your entire life, maybe even from childhood, it's just not true. <laughs> and we would also invite you to, to be in the mess with us. And maybe there are some of you here Maybe me at my worst at times. You're the box keeper of your community. You're the one keeping the boxes. You're the one running around the stage frantically, picking things up and trying to categorize them, trying to know where everything fits. Maybe that's your role in your family or your church or your life group, your neighborhood, your school. You're the box keeper. I want to invite you to rest don't have to do that. It's not your job. Let God engage. Let Jesus engage in the mess. It's not your job to run around the stage, picking things up, putting things in the right box, making sure that everyone believes the exactly right thing, is doing the exactly right thing, has the correct history, has the correct way to deal with their history. If that's you, you're the box keeper of your community, just rest. When you walked in, you may have noticed uh, we have communion set up at the four corners of the room. And there's, there's a beautiful opportunity here because communion is, is the physical representation of Jesus fulfilling the law. It's the way that we as a church remember that he came and he died for us and he started dumping these boxes out and he started taking the same principles and moving them around. It's the physical action of remembering that he has freed us he set us free from the Old Testament law and he set us free from this law that we've made for ourselves, which is legalism. And so in just a second, the band's gonna play. There's four corners of communion. And whenever you're ready, you don't have to go immediately. You can, you can get up and you can go take communion. You can take a little piece of bread and you can dip it into the, 
into the juice and you can eat it. And as you do that, you're remembering, you're thanking God that he set us free. If you can't get up for whatever reason, just raise your hand. We'll make sure that we can get you communion. There's one last opportunity. If, if today is your day where you've said, man, I've come to church a lot and I've, I feel like I understand this stuff, but I really haven't ever entered into a relationship with Jesus. Maybe because I've been trying to keep these boxes. Maybe because I've been the one keeping the box for my community. Maybe you've been told that you don't fit and that you're not good enough to be a Christian. You're not good enough to follow Jesus. And maybe you're sitting here and saying, today is the day that I would like to do away with all that and follow Jesus for the first time. And if that's you, I want to invite you to come to the, the, the front here. There's communion at the four corners, but there's also a little bit of communion here. And I would love to just serve you communion as a way of saying you're free. You're free. We don't have enough for, for everybody. So if this is really, if, if this is really your, your time where you're saying, I've, I've been doing this and no more. I want to be free. I'd love to serve you communion. I have a little book for you until we run out of them uh, to give to you. As we take communion, this is my final thought, I promise. As you take communion, understand that the communion and the boxes are opposites of each other, okay? You don't get communion and the boxes. So if you're going to engage in communion, if you're going to take communion, what you're also saying is no to this legalism, no to the boxes. It doesn't make sense to take communion in one hand and keep a box with the other. Those two don't, it's oil and water. They don't mix. And if you're not there today, that's fine. You don't have to take communion. But don't take communion if you're going to be a box keeper. Don't do it. Why would you? Communion is the celebration of being free from the law. I'm going to pray for us. God, we are so grateful that you have freed us from, from the law, from legalism. Your grace has allowed us to be free. And in the next five or ten minutes, I pray that we would have a genuine experience with you. That as we take communion, as we remember your sacrifice, that we'd be reminded that we are free. That we would reach into our community with our freedom. And that we would love our neighbor. We pray this all in your name. Amen. I wish I could, could read all of your minds a little bit. <laughs> I like to know what you're thinking, uh, because for me, uh, I'm, this is still this is a, this has really a, been a process for me. Um, I kind of joked about not staying out late before a sermon, but the reality is I was up late last night talking with Brittany, processing this still, saying, "Is this is this right? Is this helpful? Is this good? Is this what this means?" Because it is, it doesn't come natural to us. What comes natural to us is to put things in boxes, to create order, to to create systems in order to gain access to God. So I hope that today was helpful for you, and I hope that it was the start of a conversation for you. I hope that you take this and you run and you have, have conversations about it with your life group and with your friends and your family. You know, that the first line of the song we just sang uh, kind of pulled at me. It's, Grace, what have you done? What have you, Grace, what have you done? You've ruined our stage. You've, you've made a mess of things. The scandal of grace that Jesus would come and would die and would walk with us in our mess. And so I hope this morning you were encouraged and challenged. 
Next week, uh, instead of meeting here for services, we're, we're going to come here and we're going to meet at 8 o'clock in the parking lot. And we're going to have a little mini service and then we're going to go out into our community and we're going to serve. And we're super excited to do that with you. We're going to serve people that may not fit into the boxes. And we're, we could not be more excited to engage in that process with you, to go out into your community and to love people through God's grace. And so we hope that you'll be with us. If you haven't signed up for something yet, you can still do that uh, online or you can actually do it right in the lobby. Super pumped uh, to serve with you next week. We have some prayer folks down front that if you need to continue to process this and pray with someone, they'll be here for you. But as they come down, I'm just going to uh, pray for us and we'll be dismissed. God, I do pray that as we go out into our communities, as the church leaves the building, as we go into our workplaces and our schools, our communities, that we would be people filled with your grace. And that we wouldn't be box keepers, legalists that are monitoring and qualifying every interaction but that we would live into what you have for us as part of your plan as part of your grace we pray this all in your name amen